Hey everybody, welcome to the Kingdom Project Podcast. I'm your host Marcus Hall as usual and uh, here we are. It's Sunday again, getting into the sermon. Uh, we were going to get back to church uh, services in person this week, but there were some warnings and issues about bad weather and very frigid temperatures, so here we are again. I'm recording from home to continue this series. Uh, so we are in Galatians chapter 5. We'll be looking at 13 through 18. And uh, before I get started, I'll just remind everybody that there are uh, crash course episodes of Through the Bible that I've been putting out. There are 10 out now. We're into uh, doctrinal things. We've been through the Bible and the eras, the structure of that. And now we're looking at doctrine. So I'll have to record some more now. <laughs> I had those 10 recorded and just had them updated to, to uh, publish on the days they've been published. So um, you may or may not get parts 11 and 12 this week. We'll see how everything goes. And uh, also, it's that time of year again. And just remind you, in the description of the podcast, you'll see help support. There's a PayPal uh, account there if you feel uh, like you want to give you can do so and that's all I'll say on that so here we are back in Galatians chapter 5 I'm going to pull this up here so we can look at it in the ESV we uh, finished uh, last week in verse 12 so we're gonna this is going to be by the spirit not the flesh I'm going to go ahead and go through 13 through 18 here and it starts with, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So he's saying it's not a license. So many people, when they hear about the gospel of grace or these grace-centered preachers, they want to say you're just giving people a license to sin, and it's as if they avoid all of these things here that Paul lays out in many of his letters. So... Uh, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, he says, but through love serve one another. Verse 14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. And that's where we'll, we will stop for this week, because next week we'll, we'll be looking at uh, the works of the flesh and a bit of the fruit of the spirit as well. And what Paul's doing here is setting up this contrast between the two. It's that simple. All right, so if we were to look back at verse 1, where we were at a couple, a couple of weeks ago, Paul said, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Right? All right, so Christ has set us free. We, we, celebrated, uh, we celebrate that uh, through the gospel, through faith alone and grace alone. Right? Jesus has set us free from the slavery of sin. Uh, slavery to the law and it was for freedom that he set us free and we are to stand firm against legalism all right against once again subjecting ourselves to that yoke of the slavery of the law 
that brings us to verse 13 here. So just that's uh, surrounding an immediate context, all right? For you were called to freedom, brothers, right? So don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another, okay? So you were called to freedom. That's, that is the same as saying it was for freedom that Christ set you free. So it's worth noting that Paul's talking to believers here. He says, brothers. So that's a clear statement that these people he's writing to are Christians. We'll just make that fact again. Paul said to the, to the Galatians that you reach the point in your life where you realized you cannot make yourself righteous and you cannot accomplish your own salvation through any religious rituals or any type of good works that you do. So you died to that belief. And you trusted Jesus' death on the cross for your salvation. And he says you started that way as a work of the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that does this. So as we've seen, these people then are being persuaded that they could actually do things to become more righteous, right? They could add to, perfect, or bring to completion their salvation. They felt that they could do that themselves in their own power and their own strength. And it was through religious rituals and works. So Paul, you know, back in chapter 3 and verse 3, he said, what makes you think if you start it, uh, or if this started as a work of the Spirit, that you can finish it in your flesh? That's still what Paul's talking about here. This is Paul's practice for when he lays out doctrine, okay? And as as you know, I'm big on theology and biblical doctrine, because if we're going to live this out right, Right, that as live for God, we need doctrine, which also means we need to understand it. So it's doctrine and practice, right, or application. And this is what Paul does in his writings. So he's moving into the moral, ethical issues related to the Christian life after he's laid out the doctrinal foundation. All right, he's laid out the doctrine, now he's going into application. So he's teaching about freedom. And, but he reminds his readers that when they, when they are, sorry, he reminds his readers why they even had freedom in the first place. <laughs> it wasn't anything that they worked for or learned how to exercise. Freedom came as a gift from God, right? He says they were called, which means it was not their doing, nor was it our doing when it comes to us. We don't decide. Okay, Uh, after seeing that we're in bondage in our life, all right, and that we're dead in our sins and trespasses, right, (laughs) and that it was time indeed that, that, that you have freedom, so you made up your mind and decided for freedom. No, Paul says you were called to freedom. So we should know this from other scriptures as well, that no one seeks God because sinful men don't want to seek out God, okay? So, you know, I've been saying, I've said that so many times in uh, sermons and in other episodes of the podcast as well, and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter if you go, yeah, but I, you know, I did get to a point to where I started to research and study and I was seeking God. The reason why you were seeking God is because God first called you. He had sought you out, called you, so he was compelling you or drawing you. The Holy Spirit was drawing you then. So it was nothing on of you. It was not, nothing of your work, your mind, 
your uh, interest or whatever. Not none of it. It it wasn't the 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 whole reason why you you believe. Okay, if you're very Arminian or evangelical, the whole reason that you think you you uh, were seeking or researching and studying or decided to give your life or decided to live for Jesus is because God sought you out first and through the agency of the Holy Spirit the rest of the work came to pass alright <laughs> it wasn't you okay so you were the recipient but you had no part in determining the calling God was not waiting on you to decide to trust him this is biblical people a lot of people don't like to hear this but I've been like this for for years really and this and this is very reformed I understand that but it is biblical and before I even knew what reformed theology was I started to see this clearly in scripture that it was God who called you out of his own good pleasure all right now in theology this is called effectual calling and it's it's different to what is known the general call which is what a lot of most people in evangelicalism believe okay the the general call is known as the call which is given in the gospel to all men all who all who hear the gospel then have the opportunity to respond and they have an eternal responsibility before god to respond and it says that they must respond in faith or face the condemnation of God, right? But man has a deep spiritual problem in responding to God. You cannot respond to God if you are spiritually dead, as Ephesians 2, 1 states, that we were all dead in our trespasses and sin, right? Colossians 1, 13 says that we live in blindness of the kingdom of darkness, Romans 5 states that we were spiritually in, uh, inca incapacitated as a direct result of the fall. We have natures that are naturally hostile toward God and to God. We have no interest in knowing him nor obeying him. And that's Ephesians 4, 17 through 19. All right. Many today reject this, even though it's clearly stated in Scripture. No one seeks God. We just don't, right? So if, and, and I've already said this, if your response is, but I did seek God, then you started seeking him because he sought you first and compelled you to him, drew you to him. So to make it more simplified, unbelievers are no different than Lazarus, all right? Lazarus was dead. He was in the grave, right? Unbelievers are just as dead as he was. And then they must receive a call from God to wake up and come forth. Jesus called Lazarus, who was physically dead, and he was resurrected to life because Jesus called him to. All right, this is effectual calling because it, it, it effectively works in us and it accomplishes its divine intention. In all whom God calls, he justifies. So Paul's reminding his readers that they were not saved because they thought all of this Christianity stuff looked good or it sounded good or promised a best life right now. They were saved because God called them. He found them in their stubbornness of their, their hardened hearts. 
in, in their death, spiritual death, and in the deadness of their minds. And just as Jesus called out to Lazarus to come forth, the Spirit of God calls the spiritually dead to live. And when that happens, the believer is now free from guilt and shame and condemnation that he has been living under because of the law. He no longer finds himself trying to justify himself on the basis of the law. Romans 10, 4 says that for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes, right? He is no longer scrambling, trying to find enough merit to commend himself to God because Christ is his merit. Jesus Christ has become the righteousness of God on your behalf. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. So Paul now warns that freedom received can, with neglect, become freedom abused. We are not to turn our freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. It's not a license. Opportunity means a set of circumstances that are favorable for a particular activity or endeavor. Okay, So the issue here for us is the use of the word flesh because many of us have one definition attached to to it and one alone and it's because the niv translation years ago replaced flesh with sinful nature nature okay so anytime it said flesh it was sinful nature instead which wasn't an accurate translation it was an interpretation so if we want to understand what paul means by flesh we need to see how he uses it in that in the context here and into this letter to galatians all right, and the Greek word is sarx, S-A-R-X, which means flesh. And Paul uses it 18 times in the book of Galatians. All right, now Strong's, uh, Strong's Concordance states that flesh is not always evil. It's not always evil or the sinful nature in Scripture. At one point, it mentions flesh can signify the entire nature of a man, sense and nature, without the Holy Spirit, though. Okay, so... Uh, in this sense, you have to remember the bigger picture of the context. It's law and the spirit. And flesh here is don't return to legalism. I think Paul saying the, the same thing here. Uh, or in 13, he said here in 13 and verse 1 that, that you have been set free. Don't use that freedom to once again subject yourselves to the yoke of slavery, which is legalism. After all, what is legalism? Right? Legalism is believing that in my own strength, in my own power, and my own humanity, that my flesh, right, much as uh, I pointed out doing something, right, um, or I, as much as I can, and all that, right, doing something without the Holy Spirit. That in that uh, state of mind, I can make myself righteous, I can merit some favor before God, right? Once I've been saved by the Spirit, though, why would I want to go back to that type of thinking of I can do this myself? Which is exactly what he said in verse 1 of chapter 5. The flesh, which is human achievement, leads to legalism and pride, which leads to God's resistance. Okay, so there are times when the flesh is, yeah, your flesh deeds, we'll see, deeds of the flesh are sin, sin things, sinful things, right? But also... Um, it can have more meaning uh, or a different meaning too. So he's he's comparing it to uh, uh, human effort, which you know is still it would be 
what unbelievers do. It's sinful, and it's what you would do under the law because it becomes works, okay? So try not to get too confusing there, but uh, just try to give you some a little bit more info. Verse 14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, all right? People think that somehow grace is going to lead to that license to sin, which is uh, to say it's going to lead to lawlessness. But it's actually the opposite is true, all right? Legalism leads to lawlessness because it caters to uh, the flesh, right? So when when I'm being led by the Spirit, I'm not lawless. I fulfill the law. I begin to actually live out the law. I become what God has always wanted me to be. So grace isn't lawlessness. Grace is the fulfillment of the law through Christ. So God had given his, his people the Ten Commandments back in Exodus 20, all right? But the Ten Commandments lacked definition and detail in the minds of some of the rabbis. And the Jewish rabbis decided that they needed to add explanations, so they broke the Ten Commandments down even further into, you know, all the all this stuff, right? But Paul says that the entire law is summed up in one single command, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, Paul doesn't quote uh, loving the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul. He writes that the entire law is summed up by loving your neighbor. And it's not because it's superior to the worship and uh, of God, but rather because it is proof of it, okay? Otherwise, it would, he would be contradicting Christ, um, but God represents himself to us and all those around us. We are called to love, to serve, and to sacrifice, right? So that we might be used to God, what God wants in the life of others. All right. So verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Okay. So the verbs actually read, if you continue biting and devouring one another, which, in other words, uh, is saying the Galatians were already at one another's throats, okay? Because the legalists have come in and convinced them that they have to complete or uh, compete with one another and compare themselves, okay? Okay, so it's I, I, the irony is that the law, right? The law which the Judaizers were trying to use to bring about righteousness and holiness actually ends up creating the opposite effect. And the reason is that the law doesn't deal with the heart of a person. It only deals with the performance of people. The loveless life is a life that is lived on the level of, of, of animals with a concern only for oneself, no matter what the cost is to other people. So wherever there is a conflict, <laughs> there's most likely bound to be legalism. And where there is legalism, there is conflict. It's always going to be that way because legalism feeds our pride. And then that pride causes contention. All right. Now, Christianity is not about what you do or don't do. It's about love. Uh, and, And as believers, we are called to serve one another in love and loving one another within the family of God. Okay. in the body is, uh, important. And Jesus said in John 13, uh, 34 and 35 as a new commandment, I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another by this. All men will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. 
so walking uh walking after or in the flesh was 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 not a problem it was only faced here in the first century uh it's continued ever since then many today are walking that way they're trying to gain favor with god by their works all right they're trying to please god by the things that they do and paul tells the galatians and us now how to overcome this and the the answer is walking by the spirit in verse 16 but i say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh so here we see that contrast between the spirit and the flesh and the struggles made clear in the next verse even in verse 17 for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do so paul says we are to walk by the spirit and it's a present tense command it's continue to walk by the spirit all right the christian walk is supposed to be a daily walk it's a daily routine Right, and this command is is a central concept um, of Paul's ethical appeal. That since the Christian life begins with the Spirit, um, verses uh, three, three, and four, six, four, twenty-nine, then the only way to continue the Christian life is by the power of the Spirit. So, what does that mean, right? How do we walk by the Spirit, right? And you you walk. It's simple. You, you walk by the spirit when your heart is resting in the promises of god the spirit reigns in your life when you live by faith in the son of god who loved you and gave himself for you and is now working everything together for you right living faith then produces love but you know when we if you were to look at um Look ahead, Galatians 5, uh, 22 says, Love is a fruit of the Spirit. So if, if love is what faith produces and love is a fruit of the Spirit, then, then the way to walk by the Spirit is to have faith. Back to chap, or, uh, yeah, chapter 3, verse 23. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith, which was later to be revealed. So, See, the coming of faith liberates a person from being under the law. All right, so, but what does 5.18 say? But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. All right, so how then are we led by the Spirit? It's by faith, by meditating on the trustworthiness and the, the preciousness of God's promises until our hearts are trusting in Him. This is how the Holy Spirit fills and leads. All right, the Spirit he does his work in us through through us uh, by the hearing of faith and we are sanctified by faith alone the the way to walk by the spirit and to not fulfill the desires of the flesh is to know the promises of god and to trust them and to rest in them and the more we think about our dependence on god the more consistent we will be in trusting in him and in walking by the spirit now paul put it this way in colossians 3 16 it says let the word of christ rich richly dwell within you with all wisdom a teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing with thanks uh thankfulness in your hearts to god we shall let the word delivered by Christ and, and the word about Christ richly dwell in us. All right. So, 
we all need a, a more than just a casual acquaintance with the Bible. All right, God's word is to dwell in us, and this should it is to dwell in us abundantly. All right, it is to saturate us. It must become part of our being, so it can transform the way we think and the way we act. We grow in our Christian walk as we read and we study the Bible. Okay, this is how you know God's voice. This is how you know people will be like, I just want to, I don't want to miss it when the Holy Spirit is is. T- showing me something or telling me something or leading me this way all right and you know when it's in accordance or in alignment with the word uh so the more you know the word the more you you know it's god you want to know god's will in your life you want to know what you are called for right you're called to be saved and sanctified to be set apart and to and for good works that you were created for in christ and you would know this when you read the word and study it and then you meditate on it and apply it to your life it becomes that simple all right you're not you're not and i'm not i'm not putting this this practice down at all but you you know you don't have to fast and pray for hours on end every day until you receive some sort of uh, moment right um you know god could certainly tell you or give you a good feeling about a decision to make on where to go to school or uh, the the new job or a position at a job or whatever. And it's okay to pray for those things. And it's okay to ask people to pray with you about those things as well. Um, so it's not to say that he, you know, may or may not be concerned with those things. But the main will of God for you is to be in Christ and then to walk that out. Right, so we grow in our Christian walk as we read and we study the Bible. That's <clears throat> really that's that's where you're going to hear God's voice. You hear God's voice in His Word, and the world around us uh, will always be giving us this view of the flesh, uh, but we'll only get God's view and a biblical worldview as we spend time in His Word <clears throat> and to allowing it and letting it to abundantly dwell within us. So, Paul's not saying. Let the word of Christ just have a few minutes of your time. He's saying, let the word of Christ live in you. God's word should permeate every aspect of your life. Okay, now that that's the practical uh, in and out uh, experience of the day to day life, which some days you're going to fail miserably and that's okay. <laughs> Repent and move on. All right. So, like so, when, when something happens in life, right? A scripture, though, a scripture should be able to come to your mind as a, uh, as a response to that circumstance. And when this happens, we yield to the, to that. If we you yield to the scripture, then you're yielding to the spirit. So you are walking by the spirit. So to walk by the spirit implies that we are maintaining an ongoing communion with God. We are exercising those spiritual disciplines that keep our hearts focused upon the Lord, and that turns our feet away from sin, and that warms our love for Christ. So back to verse 17 for a second, we could interpret interpret this as grace and legalism are opposed to one another. They're two completely different belief systems, right? Legalism is ultimately an issue of the heart, it actually has to do with your your core belief, and the only only place where this can can really be changed is deep down in your heart. 
that, that, that what you believe to be true. So either you believe, right? You believe that I can make myself more like Jesus and I can accomplish my own righteousness. I can maintain and complete my own salvation. Therefore, I live that way. Or, or you believe that I cannot make me more righteous at all. Therefore, I am totally dependent on the Spirit of God within me to accomplish this. And it's going to, to have, have to be him because I cannot do it. All right. Those two views are opposed to one another. Verse 18. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. So the discussion once again has been contrasting the spirit and the flesh. It's exactly what he's talking about because he's con- contrasting the spirit with the law and he's almost using Law and flesh as synonyms in these passages. <coughs> Excuse me. The question is, will we follow his leading and walk after the spirit or will we walk after the flesh? The Holy Spirit leads us to do the moral will of God. He does that primarily through scripture by helping us understand the will of God as he has revealed it there. Right? We might have expected Paul to write that since we are led by the Spirit that we are not under the flesh, but instead we read under the law. His point was that the Christian cannot overcome the desires of the flesh by remaining under that law. The Judaizers were advocating submission to the law as uh, a way to overcome the flesh. But Paul advocates submission to the Spirit. To live by the flesh is depending upon resources and abilities of the physical body or humanness. To live by the spirit is depending upon the resources and abilities of the spirit whom God gives by grace through faith, right? So in both cases, that fundamental issue at hand is the dependence. It's depending, all right? The, the, the difference is the object of the dependence. Which, which is it? The flesh or the spirit? So in closing, in living by the flesh, the person who is living is depending upon what he is and has as the result of his physical heritage. All right. In living by the spirit, the person who is living is dependent upon what the spirit of God is and has and what God has promised to do through him. Walking in the Spirit is not some, some mystical, like, uh, rare experience that's reserved for, for special, uh, elite type of Christians. All right? Walking by the Spirit is actually God's design for just every believer. It's for the normal Christian living. <laughs>